0: Here we go. Let's get it cranked up on a Wednesday. Mike Steele here in the Brown O'Habers studios. We have Parker joining us here in just a second. Uh, The White Buffalo has made a trip. We'll find out where he is in just one second. But, man, this news today, it feels like we are never going to get Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. I mean, it seems like it's like a a long way away. In the Tell the truth, tell no lies. Everything you think, do and say is in the bill you took today. In the year forty five forty-five. 45 gonna need your teeth, won't need your eyes. I mean, it feels like it's gonna be the year twenty-five-twenty-five, 25, doesn't it? But it's gonna be twenty-twenty-five. The Sooners are going to be in the Big Twelve, according to Brett York and his uh if his uh, words hold true that he spoke at Big Twelve basketball media day in the commissioner's press conference, well, the Sooners and the Longhorns are going to play again this year, and then two more years. Man, that by the way, that song will be our Ortho Central clip of the day. Ortho Central, you know, great place when injuries occur on a Friday night. Ortho Central Saturday injury clinic is open every Saturday from eight a.m. to nine thirty a.m. throughout the month of October. Free evaluations for high school athletic sports injuries. Ortho Central turning setbacks into comebacks. Parker Thune, man, what do we think? Now, if, if this holds out and every indication is yes, Oklahoma would start playing football in the SEC in the year 2025. Not 25-25, but 2025, you could have like uh Jackson Arnold and PJ Atabare and Derek LeBlanc and maybe Colton Vosick, like as redshirt sophomores are in their junior
1: year. Let that, sink what say. Let that sink in. Yeah. Well, and here's, here's what I'll say about this situation, Steely. You have to consider the source. The source is Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12 Conference. So, obviously, he's not going to say anything other than, yeah, Oklahoma and Texas have been
2: sure. great in their right.
1: ongoing conversations with us, and we're going to make sure that we keep this thing together until 2025 because that's kind of what he has to say, right? For the sake of his conference, his message, his branding – The only thing he's going to say in that situation is, yeah, Oklahoma and Texas, they're on board with us till 2025. Now, whether or not that's actually factual is another matter entirely, and I'm not entirely inclined to believe it, based on the fact that, as we've seen illustrated in so many different ways in college football over the last year and a half, money still runs the world. And there's a lot of money that stands to be made from Oklahoma and Texas making that transition to the SEC. So I am still banking on it happening prior to 2025.
0: Here's my deal, though. Uh, I I wasn't shocked to hear that. Again, as you said, Brett, your mark, Uh, he's the commissioner. That's what he's got to say. Uh, Chris Del Conte, Joe Castiglione, the uh, Texas and OU ADs, obviously, they they can't really say, yeah, we'd like to get out of this. You know, one more year would be nice. They can't say that. They've got to say what they've been saying. But I think all of us thought immediately when the news came down that Oklahoma and Texas were jumping to the SEC, that it would be like a one-year deal because that's what history told us. Well, we're writing a new chapter in history with this deal. And you know what, Parker? I say if it is 2025 – that's fine that might be advantageous for Oklahoma at least another year in the Big 12 but if it, if it is 2025 when the Sooners finally you know start playing football in the SEC that might be a good thing and I think maybe some Sooner fans would feel that way right now based on what they've seen particularly in that three-game stretch with K-State, TCU and Texas and obviously I think Oklahoma's going to turn the corner but maybe that's
1: not a bad thing what do you think? Well, here's what I think. As long as Oklahoma gets to make the road trip out to BYU, and as long as I get to cover a game in Provo, Utah, I am down for the Sooners being in the Big 12 until 2025. It's going to be weird, no doubt, because it's going to be a very asymmetrical 14-team conference with a couple teams, at least up front initially, that just don't feel like they belong in the Big 12. I'm referring most specifically uh, to BYU and UCF and also Cincinnati. Cincinnati, much like West Virginia, is just kind of a geographical outlier in the new Big 12. So, um, again, I'm not really buying the fact that it's going to be until 2025, but if it is, you know what? Fine. You get a three-year transition period. And based on what's gone on over the last three games, or I, four games, I suppose, at this point, we're a week past the uh, the skid, but based on the way that that three-game skid went down, I, I feel as though most folks' perspectives have shifted to the point where... They're not in an all-fire hurry to get to the SEC the way that maybe they were six, seven months ago.
0: Yeah, you got a chance uh, to bring, uh, you know, some really good recruiting classes in. This one's going to be really good. 2023 is going to be great. 2024 looks like it's going to be really good. I know there's not a lot happening, but based on all the early indicators, Oklahoma should have a good class for 2024 as well. You stacked you know, a couple recruiting classes together and another one after that, and you get these new facilities, you get people, you know, more invested even in your program, then that could be a very good situation for the University of Oklahoma. In fact, first text I see on the show today says, Oh, you can't win in the Big 12. I say delay the move to the SEC as long as possible. That coming on the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 40564. Uh, six five one thirty four thirty nine. But what struck me again is I was thinking about it, I mean, okay, if it's fall 2025 when the Sooners finally play in the Southeastern Conference, like I said, you know, Jackson Arnold, depending on if he redshirts or not, he could either be a redshirt sophomore or a junior. Same for Derek LeBlanc and Macari Vickers and P.J. Adabari. And if they can hold on to Colton Vosick and add Akana and some other players, Peyton Bowen down the stretch, you'd have those guys well-seasoned
1: by that time. And that doesn't sound too bad, right? No, it doesn't. And I think if that's the group that you have heading into year one in the SEC, you feel pretty confident in that. The question becomes, okay, if you're in the Big 12 through the 2024 season and 2025 is year one in the SEC, sure, maybe you got some big dogs on both sides of the ball uh, that you feel really good about making that transition. But still, there's going to be an initial – shock factor right there's going to be a bit of a barrier to entry I'm not convinced that you jump right in the SEC in 2025 and all of a sudden boom you run roughshod through that conference you win 11-12 games and are playing for an SEC championship because perennially that's just a very hard thing to do in the SEC there's one constant in the SEC over the last decade or so and that's Alabama Georgia has been elite consistently as of late, but you would even categorize Georgia as more of a new blood than a blue blood right now. Yeah, so yeah. the way I see it, if you have a team that, let's say Oklahoma wins 10 games next year, 11 the following year, and then uh, 12 in 2024, right? I'm getting my years confused there, but basically let's just say Oklahoma's an 11-12 win program in the Big 12, as they get ready to make the transition to the SEC. That doesn't necessarily guarantee, regardless of how much success you've had in the first three years of the Brent Venables era to that point, regardless of what kind of players you have, what kind of recruits you've brought in and developed on both sides of the ball, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that year one in the SEC is going to be a surefire berth in the SEC championship because it's a very hard conference that is fraught with pitfalls over the course of that entire schedule year in and year out. And it cannibalizes itself. The only program that's been regularly immune from that has been Alabama.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be fraught with pitfalls in anything. That's not good. Not good at all. Parker, uh, you're in – are you back home? Did the White Buffalo make the trip all the way back to Nebraska? What's the deal?
1: Yes, indeed. I had to to get the White Buffalo road legal because I still have the in-transit tags. So – I went back to Nebraska to get license plates because I just feel as though I, – I I find it very difficult to part with the Nebraska license plates in favor of Oklahoma license plates, even though I do live in Oklahoma these days. It just feels like a nice little nod to my heritage uh, to continue to boast the Nebraska license plates on the front and back of the White Buffalo. So, yes, I made the trip to register the vehicle. That is where I'm at. It's just a day trip. I'll be back in studio tomorrow. But, yes, I am at Casa Delphoon at the moment. Hmm.
0: Very shady, shady uh, Connor Pasby. Save that audio the last uh, two minutes or so where we ask him about where he is and what he's doing. I think he might be working for the cartel. I think so, too. And if the FBI shows up, we'll have him, you know, on an audio recording. So you and I are cool. And Parker. Will we got be you, Parker. Responsible, yes. So yeah, just in case. You know, the feds show up. You never know. So, anyway, the white buffalo has uh, migrated back to Parker's home state of Nebraska. All right. Uh, thank you, Tim Lasher. Thank you, Lasher Home Comfort Systems. You are our sponsor for hour number one. Always appreciated. You guys do a great job You're operating now in the Oklahoma City metro area. For 15 years, you can call them up at 405-579-3113. That's 405-579-3113. we got a lot of things happening today. It's United Day, a United Way Day. Man, I'm so, I've got so much energy drinking me right now, I can't stop. I need to slow down a little bit. But it is United Way Day here at the ref. We're going to tell you a little bit about that. Uh, we have the Thunder opening up the season tonight in Minnesota against the T-Wolves and the, the new-look T-Wolves with Rudy Gobert. The Thunder is the biggest underdog in the NBA. NBA tonight at half point uh, Road Dog in Minneapolis. Uh, Brandon Rebar is going to join us, Thunder Insider, at 135. We'll talk about uh, Ogilvy City's opener. You also have a uh, softball battle series tonight over at, uh, you know, Patty Park, Marita Hines Field. Uh, Patty Park, that's what I want to start calling it but until the Love's Field comes around. But uh, that's been fun for people. We have uh, now we have the uh, NLCS. On to Game Two, three thirty on Fox today. The Phillies at San Diego. Phillies blank the Padres two zip uh, in Game One uh, yesterday, and we have the Yankees and the Astros all set for Game One of the American League Championship Series, six thirty tonight on TBS. Game Two of the NLCS, Philly and San Diego, three thirty today on Fox. So. Uh, we got some good guests. We got a lot of great techs rolling in. We got Connor Paz. running the show. We have Parker back home in Nebraska. I am right here in the Brown O'Haver Studios. You're underway on the Wednesday edition of Steel Man and Thune here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Let's get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line when we get back. All right, we are back, Mike Steele, Parker Thune, Steel Man and Thune at noon. Riverwind Casino, sponsoring our hotline, 405 And Riverwind, of course, amazing. Over 2,800 electronic games. All of your favorite table games out there at Riverwind Casino. A tremendous poker room. You've got great... Uh, dining options at Riverwind with the uh, Coop Ale House Bar. You can even eat up there, River Buffet, steak tonight uh, or on Friday night, and then you have Saturday night, a seafood night, great brunch on Sunday, Chips and Ales Pub Restaurant, back open for business. It has been remodeled, and great food there, great times. You can't miss the game, and you won't miss the game at Chips and Ales. You can see with an individual TV right there at your booth. Also, we have a Beats and Bites Bedlam show coming up at Riverwind, outdoors at Riverwind on Friday, November 18th, with the Eli Young Band and Wade Bowen opening up. Tickets are only 5 bucks at the box office and at Riverwind.com, another reason why Riverwind Casino is simply the best. Okay, uh, let's get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Uh, First one from the 918, Parker, what's the scoop on Marvin Burks, Jr.?
1: I do not expect Oklahoma to be the pick for him at this point in time. Oklahoma made his final five. He just put out a commitment date today. I don't offhand remember what the date is, but it's pretty close. I know that. I think it was November. Sometime in November he was going to announce his commitment. But four-star safety from out of St. Louis. uh, He was kind of a fringe target for Oklahoma for a while. Uh, I think if they had really pushed for him. Uh, rather than continuing uh, to try for Ryan Yates, they may have ended up being in a position to land a commitment from Marvin Burks. But as of right now, I don't think that's the case. And I think for further evidence of that, look no far- farther than the fact that Oklahoma just offered another trifecta of safeties over the weekend in Tyler Scott, Brandon Hillman, and Khalil Barnes. So Oklahoma is quite clearly not planning on getting a commitment from Marvin Burks at this time.
0: There you go. Also, uh, IVF man says, since Parker has established a residence in Oklahoma, I believe his car should be registered in Oklahoma. His license is still Nebraska, too, I bet. Breaking the law. What? are you, You're not breaking the law,
1: are you? I, I don't believe I'm breaking the law, no. But, um, yeah, I do have, I still have my Nebraska driver's license. It doesn't expire until 2025, so... Uh, that's when I will, I suppose, officially switch it over to Oklahoma. But as of right now, I still uh, have the Nebraska state logo on my identification card. All right, that's
0: from IVF, man. A lot of people are saying the same thing, that you need to, since you have a residence in Oklahoma, your car needs to be registered in Oklahoma. So you might want to check on that. They're trying to do you a favor, Parker, make sure you don't get in trouble with your work uh, that you're doing for the cartel because you've been gone a lot lately And I'm just a little bit concerned, just a little bit. I mean, because Parker has the squeaky clean all-American kid image, right? Perfect candidate for the cartel. Will you deny it right now? I
1: am. (laughs) I am not going to be the next member of the cartel. Okay.
0: I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Okay, uh, let's see. Does the kid from Ardmore end up at Oklahoma from the 615?
1: I would assume that's in reference to Morgan Pearson. Mm -hmm. And I know that's another guy that Oklahoma is kind of kicking the tires on at the safety position. But if I had to put money down right now, I would say no. I would say he probably doesn't end up at Oklahoma. And my thought for the longest time has always been – I'm not entirely convinced Morgan Pearson just doesn't end up playing baseball because he's a really dang good baseball player and arguably has a higher ceiling long-term in baseball than he does in football, although he is just a supreme athlete all around. So I I think it, you look at his offer sheet right now, he could go Power 5 for football. Obviously, if Oklahoma were to offer, they would be his biggest offer to date. That's probably That would probably be where he would end up, but he's a legit two-sport guy who doesn't have to stake his entire future on football.
0: There you go. Patrick chimes in. Sounded very sketchy on that answer. I We'll, we'll keep tabs on Parker. Actually, I think he he's fine. He's clean, but we'll we'll make sure and monitor the situation. From the 918 off the Air Comfort Solutions text line, uh, Jeff Ketchum released a half-hour monologue saying how he believes that Vosick will be a Longhorn only to cite sources that say, quote, it's happening. What do you think?
1: Uh I think it's Jeff Ketchum and That's really that's, that's all you have that's all you have like, to
0: say right there. That's it. Just yeah, I, I think it's say,
1: I think it's Jeff Ketchum, right? It's, it's, go ahead. It's it's Jeff Ketchum. So that you you can leave it at that and I probably I I'm going to hold my tongue and not say anything further because I don't I don't want to initiate beef. So I'll just leave it at that. It's Jeff Ketchum, people. There
0: you go. All right, uh, here you go. Here is uh, this question will be answered again for this. This is uh, answer number 717 in this question, but somebody's asking it. So, you know, we're doing public service here as well from the 405. What happened between OU and you want to fill in the player? You want to guess? What happened between OU it's gotta and. It's got to be Malachi
1: Coleman, right? That's it's it. Be That's Coleman. it. That's it. Go ahead. Well, uh, Oklahoma just decided they didn't need another tight end, didn't want another tight end. And so they kind of. It was right about actually the time that Nebraska and Oklahoma played each other up in Lincoln. Mid September was about the time where Oklahoma kind of eased off of Malachi Coleman. And I will say this I expect him to commit to Nebraska this weekend. That recruitment's not over. And I'm not going to say any more than that. It has nothing to do with Oklahoma. Oklahoma's not going to be where he ends up. But uh, it's felt for quite a while as though the kid did like, really did not want to end up at Nebraska. So, again, I think for the sake of the circumstance, for the sake of all his family uh, that are coming into town for the announcement, I do believe he's going to commit to Nebraska this weekend, the 22nd. But... I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking another visit or two post-commitment because it just is not – and it has never really seemed like that whole thing adds up. And in talking to the kid repeatedly over the course of the last few months on a very regular basis, I, I've i never gotten the feeling that he is 100% content with Nebraska.
0: Yeah, you have said basically if Oklahoma wanted uh, Malachi Coleman, he would be – Coming to Oklahoma, you were that confident that he he wanted to be yeah, they, sooner. But apparently Oklahoma uh, lost some interest there down the stretch. It's pretty obvious. All right, from our man Zane, he says, How does the SEC move in 2025 affect recruiting? This is actually
1: a serious question. <laughs> well, I I get Like, here's the thing. You take everything that's said about the realignment timeline right now with a grain of salt. So, I don't know if it has any tangible impact on recruiting because I can tell you, I can almost promise you that Oklahoma staff in their conversations with prospective recruits, with the guys that they're pursuing, they're not telling them, yeah, come play SEC ball once you're a junior. They're selling, I, I, I would imagine that they're selling the move happening sooner than that in 2023 or 2024. So, Again, I don't, th- I don't feel as though we have any semblance of clarity on when this is all going to go down because uh, Brett Yormark is going to give the company lines. Joe Castiglione and Crystal Connie are going to give the company lines. We're just going to have to wait and see, and we're going to have to wait it out. But I, I don't anticipate that Oklahoma is approaching this from the standpoint of, okay, yep, we're just going to act as though uh, we're going to be making the transition to the SEC in 2025, and that's what we're going to recruit around.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And think about this. People in suits, they look super classy. They're usually pretty intellectual and uh, very accomplished. But people in suits have to lie. And people in suits lie more than people who aren't in suits. Because usually the people in suits are dealing with more money. And that means more lies. Now, look, I think this could be completely, you know, what happens. Oklahoma may not get to the Southeastern Conference until 2025. In fact, if you ask me today, do I think that's going to be the case? I would say yes. Uh, You know, we'll see. Maybe, you know, you don't have to pay any exit fees. All of those uh, millions of dollars we were talking about that Oklahoma and Texas would have to uh, cough up to leave. Early, you know, if they violated the grant of rights, that goes away. So maybe this indeed will be the situation that they don't get there until 2025. And, and you know that people will say, you know, hey, guess what? The commissioner said the other day that Oklahoma and Texas not going to be there for three more years. So recruiting is a very dirty business. I'm not saying that everybody goes about it the same way, but believe me, man, you're looking for an edge. And if, you know, those, uh, you know, you think Shoe won't use that? Against somebody he's recruiting, uh, you know, against uh, Oklahoma for uh, absolutely, he's a low down dirty slime ball. Of course he'll use it, but uh, so I do. I think it would have a huge effect. I don't think it would have a huge effect, but I guarantee it will be used. Uh, from our man Gunny of Stutzman Army on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Speaking of the uh, 2025 news that. Uh, According to Brett, your mark that Oklahoma and Texas have also reiterated that they are going to stay and uh, football won't start in the SEC until 2025. Gunny of uh, Stutzman Army says it wouldn't hurt to let BB get get a few recruiting classes in before we move on to the SEC. I trust BB and Parker's balls. There you go. That sounds like we should end a segment on that note. Thank you, Gunny of Stutzman Army. All right, Mike Steele here in the Brown O'Haver Studios. Parker in the uh, back home in Nebraska with a white buffalo on a mission to uh, the great state of. Isn't Nebraska's state slogan, honestly, it's not for everybody?
1: Uh, I don't think that's the official state slogan. I, I, thought, I know that was a campaign that oh, they were Okay, it was a campaign. Tourism advertisements uh, okay. for a while. All right, yeah, you're probably right.
0: It doesn't sound like it'd be like an official state slogan, probably. Uh, was an advertising campaign. All right, we got a break right here, and uh, when we get back, we'll talk a little more Oklahoma football. Can the Sooners win out? We will also stay with the Air Comfort Solutions tax line 405-651-3439. We're coming right back on the home of Sooner fans, the ref. Ah, yes, we are back. Mike Steele, Parker Thune, Connor Pasby running the show. It is the Wednesday edition of Steel Man and Thune here on the home of Sooner fans, the Rep Radio Network, coming back to the Air Cover Solutions text line in just a minute. So uh, hang tight. I promise you we're getting right back there. 135 today. Brandon Rabar, our OKC Thunder insider, will preview the uh, season in the uh, opener tonight in Minneapolis against the T-Wolves, Oklahoma City, a 7 or I'm sorry, it's a 7 p.m. start. They're a 10-and-a-half-point road dog tonight against a Timberwolves team that now also has Rudy Gobert. So we'll get into that coming up for about five minutes at 1:35. I wanted to play this because this is classic Mike Gundy, and you've got that uh, Texas OSU game coming up this weekend. Huge game for the Cowboys. The health of Spencer Sanders certainly uh, in question as well uh, in this matchup, of course, 230 on ABC. Texas favored in the game. And if Oklahoma State wants to be a factor again in the Big 12 and, and possibly again if it, well, one lost Big 12 team that wins the Big 12 championship uh, would be, uh, you know, possibly a playoff contender as well, no doubt about it. So this is a huge game for Oklahoma State. But this was Mike Gundy. This is such classic Mike Gundy talking about impressions of the Texas offense. Five's a good player. The other back they
1: put in there is a good player. Um, you know, the quarterback obviously um, – Flips it around pretty good. Eight is dynamic. Uh, you know, eight is a threat wherever he is, whenever. Catching it, running it, throwing it, he can do a lot of things. Um, Zero is a unique player for him. Zero is a uh, hybrid tight end. They use him in the blocking game some, but he runs and plays like a wideout. So they use him doing some different things. He's a good player. Um, uh, so they, they look kind of like what they have. I mean, they're always going to have a, a couple wideouts that can burn 4-4 four, four and run, they've always had five-star running backs. And they've uh, This quarterback throws it around pretty good.
0: There you go. Zero sounds like a robot player or something. Zero, by the way, would be Jatavion Sanders. JT Sanders, the hybrid tight end who plays uh, like a wideout. Five, of course, be John Robinson. The other back, Roshan Johnson. Quinn Ewers is the quarterback who flips it around pretty good. And eight, of course, would be Xavier Worthy. That is Mike Gundy.
1: He always talks in numbers for the Well, and here's the thing. Yeah, that's it's, it's not uncommon for coaches to refer to players, even their own players, with just numbers because you know, you're watching film, for instance. You're scouting the opponent. You're not bothering to learn their names unless you're actually, mm-hmm. like, tangibly preparing for a press conference to discuss those players. Right, so unless, like, if it's the type of deal where... You want to make it a point to know X player's name and Y player's name and Z player's name so that you can discuss it with the media, then you'll kinda of commit it to memory. But if you're just scouting the opponent, as Mike Gundy and his staff probably are at this point in the week, or were earlier this week, for instance, then yeah, you know, it's it's five, zero, eight, three, it's whoever. It's it's yeah, but it's come actually on. pretty you common know, lingo.
0: Mike Gundy knows five is B. John Robinson, he knows who Quinn Ewers is, right? He knows who Xavier Worthy is. Wouldn't he? I mean, perhaps. Yeah, I, he does. He's just being Mike Gundy. I think Gundy's a little bit like I call uh, Marty Smith the ESPN guy the hillbilly hipster because he's pretty hip, but he sounds like a hillbilly, you know. And Gundy's got a little bit of hillbilly hipster in him as well. Mike Gundy does, but I always yeah, enjoy I mean, his he's press got- conferences.
1: He's got a lot of hillbilly. I don't know if he has a lot of hipster.
0: <laughs> so you're saying 90% hillbilly, 10% hipster? Because I'll go with, like, Marty Smith of ESPN. I'll go uh, 60% hipster, 40% hillbilly. You know, the hair looks good. The suit looks good. Buddy Stam sounds like, you know, a little hillbilly. Yeah, I just,
1: like, I, help me, Steely, because I'm struggling. Like, what what is it about Mike Gundy that screams hipster? Because, like, even the the he, well, like, no, no, Um,
0: T t-shirt? No. Uh, Bullet? (laughs) No. I mean, I'll just say this. Mike Gundy is still entertaining. Mike Gundy press conference, you never know what you're going to get, right? You really don't. So, uh, Mike Gundy is a legend in his own mind, says Patrick. He called him Mike Gundy. So, a pacifist football coach. All right. Also, from the uh, 405, if the Sooners don't get D.J. Lagway or Michael Hawkins for the 2024 quarterback class, will they be in good hands with a quarterback room of Booty, Evers, and Arnold?
1: Well, I will say this much. They're going to have a quarterback in 2024. It's just a matter of who that's going to be. And if it's not Michael Hawkins, if it's not D.J. Lagway, I expect them to push pretty hard for Michael Van Buren out of the state of Maryland. So – That's another name to know kind of on the periphery that Oklahoma has been recruiting at that position for quite some time. They're going to try to get a guy every year. And worst comes to worst, if there is a circumstance where you come up completely dry in the 2024 class, then, yeah, your quarterback room is going to be just fine because you've got Jackson Arnold, you'll still have Nick Evers, you'll presumably still have General Booty. Uh, I guess Davis – Now Davis Bevel won't still be eligible at this point, at least to my knowledge. So – That will be the quarterback room, and then, of course, you'll always have a walk-on here, a walk-on there. Maybe one of those guys will really pop at some point, every so often. You end up with a walk-on QB who can sling it a little bit. Obviously, a Baker Mayfield type of player is once in a generation, but uh, it's more about depth than anything else with those types of guys. So if you don't get Lagway and you don't get Hawkins in 2024, you're going to be just fine. That said, I do think Hawkins is the guy that Oklahoma is going to get in 2024 at this point.
0: By the way, you are uh, you got to make a long trip, don't you? You got the uh, the Guyer Allen game and that's
1: tomorrow night, right? That's right. Yeah. So Man. I'm gonna. Uh, I think what I'll end up doing is spending the night in Kansas City and then driving back to Norman tomorrow morning. We'll do the show. We'll get off the air and then I'll ship down to Dallas for Allen and Guyer, which is going to be probably the best high school game that I get to cover here in the year of our Lord 2022 because. Uh, you get to I, Both of those teams are absolutely loaded with talent. I think at this point right now, you have seven OU offers between the two rosters. Obviously, at Geyer, you have Arnold, you have the Bowens, you have Ryan Yates, even though he just announced over the weekend he's locked in with LSU. That's still a guy that OU uh, really, really liked and wanted. Uh, at Allen, you have Devon Mitchell, the 2025 five-star tight end. You have... Zena Amozalew, four-star edge rusher in the 2024 class, and then, of course, Hawkins. So absolutely littered with guys that will be or could be future Sooners.
0: All right. Uh, Difference in style between Jackson Arnold and Michael Hawkins would be what? The way they go about quarterbacking their respective teams.
1: Uh, Michael Hawkins is an elite runner. And he's got a little, like... (sighs) here's the thing you hate to compare him to any of the high profile mobile guys of years past like Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray just because that's always at face value an unfair comparison but he has wheels man he's got legit 4'4 to 4'5 speed can hurt you with his legs can make guys miss in the open field and he's a really good thrower of the football when you're talking about Jackson Arnold uh, he is not an elite runner but he is more than functionally mobile uh, not a not the truest of dual threats but also by no means uh stand in the pocket type of guy he's going to be able to go off script create with his legs outside the pocket and then i i've talked about it plenty with jackson arnold but what really sets him apart at the quarterback position is his mentality because when he steps on the football field he is the most confident most aggressive player on either side of the ball the arm talents there The arm strength, the accuracy. All around, he is an ideal of a specimen, as you will find at the quarterback position in 2023. Hawkins, understandably, being a year younger, he's a little bit more raw, a little bit less physically developed at about 6'3, 180. Arnold is about 6'1, 205. Uh, So, Hawkins has some areas of his game that he needs to shore up, and that's understandable, uh, being just a junior in high school, but. The raw physical tools are off the charts with him as both a passer and a runner. And so, those are two guys that, although they have their key differences in terms of style, uh, I will say this. They both run an offense similar to what Levy's doing at Oklahoma right now. So, they're a natural fit for the system. And they are both outstanding leaders of men. They're well respected among their peers, they're high character guys. They're model citizens, the likes of which you'd like to have playing the quarterback position at the University of Oklahoma.
0: There you go. All right, one more text, and we'll get to a break. Uh, stop giving Grundy cover. It's 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 Grundy. Uh, he uses numbers to disrespect his opponents. The OSUPA guy used to call the opponents the visitors for the same reason. Is that accurate? I, I, I don't know. Larry Reese is too nice a guy to do that, right? I like Larry Reese a lot. Now, he is 100%. Oklahoma State, uh, obviously, but I, I don't know. Did Larry Reese do that? I wouldn't think so, but I don't know. I kind of like it, actually, hearing that. And by the way, Patrick apologized, voice to text. That is how we got Mike Gandhi. Mike Gandhi would be a very interesting football coach, a combination of Gandhi and Gundy. Very interesting.
1: Somebody make the edit. Yes, somebody Somebody. it. Tattoo Baker, <laughs> if you're listening, we need the edit. Mike Gandhi. Get it done. Tattoo End of the Baker. Afternoon. That's your be- assignment.
0: Tattoo Baker is becoming a legend, man. With the trolling of a uh, mule shoe with the Cameron Rising meme was just uh, I mean that was elite level right there. Hall of Fame stuff. All right, we got a break right here. Steel Man and Thune. It is a Wednesday afternoon. Good to have you with us. We will take a timeout right here. You're with the Home of Sooner fans, the ref. Okay, welcome back. It is united way day here at the ref here in uh, god's country norman oklahoma and the united way does so much good work in this community and uh, we're very big here at the ref on uh, all of us contributing uh portions of our paycheck to the united way because you know the stories you hear and the lives they affect it is super meaningful in this community and they get that money out to very important organizations. We've got Darren Wilson from the United Way. Welcome in, Darren. How are you doing? Doing awesome. Thank you for having us. Appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for coming in. And uh, we also have Stacy Bruce with Bridges, which is a very important uh, thing in uh, the metro area, in the Norman community. Uh, you guys house homeless teens, correct?
2: We do, yes.
0: And that is where. Some parents or maybe addicted, have substance abuse problems or whatever, and the kids are affected by that. And you guys take care of those kids, get them back to another environment eventually. But Bridges is all about that.
2: We are. Our mission is empowering high school students in family crisis to pursue education without obstacles, and and you said it exactly right. What we do is house and serve homeless high school students in our community. Um, all of them are homeless or in an unaccompanied situation due to no fault of their own. So there can be addiction in the home, and it's not safe to live there. There can be, um, you know, abuse of some sort in the home. There can be family homelessness. Um, we've had students age out of foster care. We have students with parents incarcerated or that, have, um, that are deceased, and they're not able to stay where they are. And so our mission is really to house them, um, get them safely housed, and then help them graduate high school.
0: You know, and the thing is, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I was blessed with great parents. And you go down the road of life and you run into a lot of people that don't have that similar situation and you just thank the man upstairs for giving you the parents that you had. But so many, uh, so many of these kids are in really desperate situations and they need, some, they need that help. They need that guidance and it can set them on a, a more positive path.
2: Correct. And, you know, I called Norman home. My dad was actually a football coach here at OU under Gary Gibbs. Yeah, and...
0: I'm here as a Johnny Barr. <laughs> yep. Hey, yeah, yeah. there we that's go. Him. Um,
2: and I just I never knew that um, homelessness and especially teen homelessness was an issue in my community. And um, it is. And thankfully for the United Way, we're able to serve these students and help them uh, graduate high school and then be really positive citizens in our community.
0: All right, uh, Darren Wilson with the United Way is also with us. Darren, uh, you know, if you're going to give, and this is that time of the year where we're thinking about that, how many different organizations uh, does the United Way help in the area? I mean, it's right. it's a well-rounded uh, a bunch of different organizations that you guys support.
3: It is. We actually have 26 different uh, partner agencies uh, that we provide funding to, along with our other initiatives uh, that, that we do, as well as, like, backpack program. I mean, we, we put 998 backpacks on kids this year to go to school. Uh, but those 26 partner agencies, that's where our obviously overwhelmingly focused uh those funds go to. And that's making sure uh, Stacy's in here today talking about homeless high school kids. I mean, we also talk about a bubble that we all kind of grew up in or live in and and don't really see or notice oftentimes uh, that there's people in our community that need help. Uh, United Way and those 26 agencies helped 61,000 people last year uh, right here in our community. That equates to about one in four uh, people right here in our community that need help. And when you donate to United Way, you're helping people in your local community. I think that's something that I want uh, the listeners to know today is, hey, when you give to United Way, you're helping people right here in our community. And you know
0: where your money's going, which is good, uh, because that's – if you're giving – a portion of your income you want to know what you're supporting obviously and you want to know that that money is going to that organization or that need in the community, not, well, 20% goes and 10% goes to the CEO, whatever. You know where your
3: money's going, and that's important to people, and you guys account for that. We do. We do. Uh, It's not super easy to be a United Way agency. We we, we don't joke about that, but there is accountability uh, that United Way and our impact councils hold our agencies to. And I just, we're not built on mega donors. I mean, the way that United Way is built is on everyone doing their fair share, doing their part. And that I think is what makes our organization special and the ability to help so many different organizations. I think that's what sets it apart.
0: Well, and we had our uh, meeting with the uh, you know, the ladies who came in last week who were spectacular, telling stories. And it's just, you know it's going to do good in the community. And, you know, we come on here and we talk about sports, and sports is very important to us. I mean, when the Sooners are doing great, the community's feeling great. Mm-hmm. I mean, the community's doing a lot better this week than it was the previous three weeks. There's no doubt. Yes. With Johnny Barger, right. Dad, you know what that's all about. I do. But at the same time, you know, this is – Sports, these are games, and we make fun of Lincoln Riley or whatever, and it's all fun and games. It's just sports. This is real life we're talking about, (laughs) changing and affecting people's lives in the community, making Norman, which is already a great place to live, even a better place. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Anything else you want to impart to people?
2: Well, you know, I just think it's really important um, when you donate to United Way, specifically for bridges, what they give, um, we call it student expenses. So it's anything that directly touches a student. And that can be anything from an ACT registration to over-the-counter medication, to clothing, to emergency food, to a shower curtain for their apartment, a trash can, a can opener, all of these things that um, I just, I haven't, had to buy for myself in a really long time. Um, But our students usually come to us with nothing. And so we're grateful for the United Way and all of the donors that support United Way. They are our single largest consistent funding source. And we couldn't do what we do without the United Way of Norman.
0: Well, that's awesome, uh, Stacy, with Bridges. Darren, with the United Way. You guys are doing the important stuff in this community. God bless you for what you're doing, and uh, for the United Way, because a lot of do, a lot of good is going on uh, in this community through the United Way. It's great to have you in. Thank, Thank you very you for much for us. coming in. Thank you. You guys are radio naturals, man. Awesome. Don't take my job, please. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Stacy and Darren. Stacy with Bridges, a great organization, and Darren. Darren's here, nursing a shoulder injury, got shoulder surgery, but soldiering through with a fantastic interview. Reviewed at 99.2 percent by Rotten Tomatoes, very impressive. All right, we'll be right back. Hour number two coming up here on the Ref. Here we go with hour number two.
4: Yeah, we got two men talking right
0: outside my door. I think that's what uh, Mark Descher, OU photo guy, is saying right now because we are right outside his door. Welcome back. Hour number two presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Pauls Valley. Exit 72 right there in Pauls Valley, America. Great selection cars, trucks. SUVs, pre-owned vehicles. You'll find a tremendous selection at the Seth Wadley auto group, and you'll have that great guarantee of oil changes and engines for life on new or used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you I want to thank, uh, Stacy and Darren for coming in again. They're doing great, great stuff in the community and the United way is big time, uh, people helping people. Really. That's what it's all about. It really is. All right. From the 918, Uh, my third graders said steel man is the smartest man alive. Well, kids and, uh, Make sure you listen to your teachers, okay? They are giving you exactly what you need to hear because, yes, I am the smartest man alive. Parker Thune is, like, fourth, but uh, I think T. Rose second, T.J. 2A. Well, everybody's smart here, but, yes, thank you, 918, for saying that. Are you in Quapaw, is that right, if I uh – If I remember right, I think that's where you are. So, anyway. All right. uh, Thank you again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group. we got Parker uh, up in Nebraska. A trip, road trip with the uh, Great White Buffalo. That will also be heading down to the uh, metro area of Dallas for a big game between uh, Denton Guyer and Allen uh, coming up tomorrow night. Okay. So, Parker, ESPN-FPI, Football Power Index, again – you know, I don't know how much I believe in that stuff because I certainly don't think Oklahoma's losing out. And In fact, I would take Oklahoma to win more than they lose down the stretch. But ESPN's FPI, the computers, for what it's worth, they had the Sooners losing out. Now Oklahoma going to Iowa State, home game with Baylor after that. Then they go to Morgantown to play the Mountaineers. Oklahoma State for battle at home November 19th. And then they uh, regular season finale again against Texas Tech in Lubbock. Let's talk about Iowa State. They beat Iowa this year. Uh, they beat Southeast Missouri State and Ohio U in their non-conference. They have lost to Baylor, Kansas, K-State, and Texas by a combined 14 points in Big 12 play. But Oklahoma's strength, clearly, with Dylan Gabriel back, is offense, no doubt. And if he's if he is as accurate and more accurate than he has been, and I thought it, you know he was really good coming back last week against KU – then Oklahoma should be able to score some points. And and Iowa State's defense might be the best in the league. The the numbers kind of indicate that. But what do you think Oklahoma needs to do in terms of how many points will beat Iowa State in Ames? What are you thinking?
1: Well, Iowa State's not a great offensive team. So you would hope if you can get to the 30-point threshold, that's enough to win you a football game. But going back to the point you made a second ago, Steely, this is why – you can only trust computer math to a certain point is because what the computer math isn't factoring in right now is the fact that Oklahoma played seven atrocious quarters of football without Dylan Gabriel. I'm not saying if you put Dylan Gabriel back in the mix against TCU and Texas that Oklahoma wins those games, but I think that changes things drastically in terms of the overall outlook on Oklahoma's season because I guarantee what the computers are doing is they're pulling the statistics, they're pulling the performance uh, charts, the logs, everything. They've taken everything that Oklahoma has done or not done thus far in this 2022 season and looping it into their projections. What that doesn't factor in, or only minimally factors in, I would venture to say, is the absence of Dylan Gabriel for most of that TCU game and for the entirety of the Texas game. So, no, I do not think, nor does any rational human, that Oklahoma is going to lose out. Now, I don't know if you can look at any of these five matchups down the stretch and say maybe with the exception of the Texas Tech game, yeah, that's a game right there that Oklahoma should win based on the way that they've played. Because Iowa State, even for being 0 and 4 in Big 12 play, all four of those losses were by single digits. I mean, that's a very that's a formidable team, much more so than their record would indicate. That's not a gimme. Baylor's not a gimme. Oklahoma State's not a gimme. Going to Morgantown to play West Virginia, that's no gimme. Even going to Lubbock, Steele again, that that is probably the one game. As I look at this schedule the rest of the way, that's probably the one game I would circle and say Oklahoma should and needs to win it, but you got to go to Lubbock on Thanksgiving weekend. That's not going to be a walk in the park either.
0: Yeah, they're crazy in Lubbock. And I think they like playing for Joey Maguire. I I think that team is playing – Ah, uh, for their new head coach, and they like him a lot. But I would say running the table, I would put it like fifteen uh, percent right now. In terms of Oklahoma going eight and four, I would put that at uh, I don't know forty percent, and then maybe like seven and five, I would say you're looking at fifty or sixty percent somewhere in that range for OU. The bottom line is just establishing confidence. You have that confidence, you have that momentum back, you've got a good positive feeling by beating Kansas. Last week with number 8 back, you played a little bit better on defense. 42 points given up is still way too much, but you played a little bit better on defense. You're not making the catastrophic busts that you had in Fort Worth. You played tougher than you did in the Cotton Bowl, and I think that team's soul was taken from them a little bit because of the situation on offense. But, again uh you you really need this Iowa State game because if you get the Iowa State game yes i think you're you're going to win you know you could get to 8 you could get to 9 but if you go and have a bad performance against Iowa State then you're right back in that same situation where there's a little bit of doubt you know that creeps back in and particularly if they make mistakes on defense but Oklahoma again more talented than Iowa State. We know that Ames has been tough. We know that, well, Iowa State's especially been problematic in Norman for the Sooners. But Matt Campbell has had, uh, you know, caused the Sooners some headaches. So this will be a very interesting game. Uh, coming up again October 29th. Another rooster, 11 a.m. That's four straight roosters for the Oklahoma Sooners. All right, here we go. Back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. You can hit us up, 405. 405- of the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Here we go. I know you guys are sick of talking about Malachi Coleman. Let's approach this from another angle. Please describe OU's tight end depth chart. Uh, Why Oklahoma doesn't seem interested in this kid. By my calculation, Braden Willis and the transfer from Missouri, Daniel Parker, are both in the last years of their eligibility. That leaves a couple of freshman tight ends on the depth chart, and that's it. Am I missing something? From the six one five. No,
1: you're not. You're not missing anything, listener. In the six one five, the Sooners are bringing in Cade McIntyre. He's going to play tight end. That is the third member of the prospective room in 2023. But the plan for some time is and will remain to add an experienced upperclassman tight end via the transfer portal. Because it's not numbers, it's not lack of depth that Oklahoma is concerned about with tight end. Heading into 2023, it's lack of experience because Caden Helms and Jason Llewellyn, who would be the two elder statesmen in that room as things stand next season, have a combined one catch between them over the course of their first seven collegiate games. So you're turning things over to a very unproven core of young tight ends if you don't have somebody that's a little bit older has played quite a bit of ball at the FBS level and can stabilize that room by virtue of that experience so again the the way that things went down with Coleman was there was a time where Oklahoma would have been willing to roster five tight ends and so they would have been able to take Coleman, would have been willing to take Coleman in addition to Helms, Llewellyn, McIntyre, and then whoever the addition is via the transfer portal. But as things evolved over the course of fall camp and the early portions of the 2022 season, uh, there became, at least as far as the coaching staff is concerned, a diminished need for another scholarship tight end because you can only roster so many scholarship players. So when you have such conspicuous lack of depth as the Sooners have at linebacker right now for instance well the scholarship that you might use on a fifth tight end could be better allocated elsewhere and so it has less to do with the fact that uh, the Sooners are concerned about the depth at tight end in 2023 as you are listener they're not concerned about depth at tight end as much so as they are at other positions across this roster and also just came down to the fact that they really didn't see Coleman as a guy that would be able to contribute at tight end immediately, which is a fair concern when you look at his frame. He's a very natural athlete, gifted pass catcher, but if you're trying to turn that guy into an inline tight end, if you're trying to turn him into Braden Willis, he's not going to be Braden Willis in 2023. It's going to be two or three years before he's that type of football player.
0: All right, uh, back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Steely, didn't you go see the Sistine Chapel once? There is an exhibit in OKC featuring that. Is it worth visiting? I, I don't know about the particular exhibit. I know that we have tickets to it. My wife is getting tickets to it. Yes, I did see the Sistine Chapel. It was unbelievable. I went went right through the uh, Raphael rooms and down the steps to the Sistine Chapel. And uh, honestly, it it was You could feel a presence in there. You could feel a presence in there. That is the the time, you know, I I felt the closest to the man upstairs. Seriously. It was overwhelming. I, I got moved to tears in that place. I mean, you look up at the ceiling and you're like, Michelangelo did this. And he was on the scaffolding, you know, painting upside down with paint. You know, dripping all over his face and, and everything and the work and the effort that went into that. It was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. Like I said, I have of all the places that I've been, and you know how much I love the Masters in Augusta. The first time I stepped on, you know, uh, the grounds at Augusta, I was blown away. But in terms of feeling overwhelmed by a, uh, a presence in a place... And we're literally, it was like pushing tears out of my eyes, just like, man, I'm looking around and I'm, you know, tears are strolling down my face by looking at that place. And then you turn around, you see the Last Judgment right behind you, uh, right there. It was, it was unbelievable. It's, it's the coolest place that I've ever uh, walked into was the Sistine Chapel. So, yeah, if you have a chance to see that exhibit in OKC that's coming, I would say do it. I, I don't know what it entails, but I know that we're headed that way. So. There you go. All right. Uh, what do you guys think about Caleb Spencer visiting Miami?
1: Parker, do we okay, know about that? Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I have no confirmation that that actually happened. Uh, that is something I'm going to check up on. But uh, Caleb Spencer is a guy that – how can I phrase this? He doesn't talk to anybody. And so – uh, it's very, very difficult to get reliable intel on the kid just because he won't answer texts or calls or DMs, nothing. He's very, very guarded in that sense. So I will say this. If he did visit Miami and if there does become a preeminent concern about a decommitment from Caleb Spencer, and, I'm again, I'm not there right now just because I don't know for a fact that he visited Miami, even though that's been put out there apparently, if there does become – a point at which there's legitimate worry that Caleb Spencer might decommit, there's not going to be any shortage of linebackers that will jump at the opportunity to come play for Brent Venables. And, hey, worst case scenario, you just flip Cade McIntyre's offer to linebacker and you go scoop up Malachi Coleman again.
0: There you go. I like that idea. Now, Caleb Spencer, three-star from Colonial Heights, Virginia, he is the uh, 6'2", they, you know, they say it could be linebacker, could be a safety. I know they like him, but uh, we'll have to check up on that. So that'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Man, like I said, I, we think that most of these commitments are going to stick for Oklahoma, but if they get a 100%, you know, stick to their commitment uh, situation come signing day, that's going to be unusual. I, I still don't feel, and again, I don't have any inside information on Colton Vosick at all. I've just felt like, man, a kid from Austin and that legacy and everything the pressure he's going to get, I, I still don't feel about good about that one long term, but a lot of people still do. A lot of people who are a lot more connected than I am. So we'll see how it all plays out. All right, break time right here. Mike Steele here in the Brown O'Haver Studios. Our man, Connor Pasby, running the show for us here on a Wednesday. We got a lot of texts rolling in, a lot of good ones. I don't think we've had a bad one today. They've all been really good, especially the third graders who say I'm the smartest man alive. They might be being misled somewhat. I'll just say that. Though well, they are. All right. So keep the text rolling in. Thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. It's a Wednesday edition of Steel Man and Thune here on the home of Sooner fans, the ref.
3: For us to have the kind of finish uh, that we are capable of having and that we – a desire to have, you know, today was obviously an important day uh, going into our bye week, Uh, you know, getting, you know, a victory against a good, disciplined uh, Kansas team uh, that's been playing very well. Uh, Again, winning's hard uh, against anyone. Just uh, Our our fans today were just terrific. Uh, They were just great, man, from the walk of champions to, um, you know, helping us win today. It was cool to see that. And again, I know there's sacrifice for everybody and um, it's hard, you know, again, there's that, you know, where the rubber meets the road, where they want to stay loyal and continue to be passionate about, you know, your team, even uh, when we're not exactly where we all want us to be. And uh, so I just, I love seeing that.
0: Brent Venables following the Sooners' win over the Kansas Jayhawks last Saturday. Oklahoma, obviously, a bye week and feels a lot different, but we'll be back at it again a week from this coming Saturday with our pregame show for Oklahoma and Iowa State beginning at 7 a.m. right here on the ref, the Sooners and Iowa State, again on FS1 at 11 a.m. All right, uh, back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. I'm here inside the Brown-O'Haver Studios. Connor Pasby running the show for us. Parker back home in Nebraska. We'll be heading down to the denton Guyer allen matchup to see Jackson Arnold against Michael Hawkins and all those other prospects in that matchup tomorrow down in the, uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So he's got a busy uh, next... Uh, 48 hours or so uh mike in springfield says steely the sistine chapel is only about as big as my kitchen and dining area very small it is smaller than you would expect yes but it almost made it uh neater for me and it's it's not i mean it's not a bandbox or anything but it's a little bit smaller than i thought it would be but it, it overwhelms you it's it's unbelievable to see those frescoes and the last judgment on the uh, on the wall it It's, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So again, uh, Parker was, or uh, Patrick was talking about the uh, exhibition, the Sistine Chapel exhibition that is coming to OKC here won't be too long from now. I can't remember the dates. Maybe I can go ahead and Google it up, but we'll see. All right. uh, So Parker Thune, there is, this has been too long and. Maybe your favorite all-time musician told us about it. The waiting is the hardest part. I mean, when is the next commitment coming? I'm tired of this. There needs to be a commitment coming in the next week.
1: Tell me it's going to happen. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen, Steely. I can't. Because, like, here's the thing. At this point, there are so few targets left on the board in 2023 that – The odds, the sheer numerical odds of getting a commitment very soon are naturally diminished. There's a reason why we haven't had a commitment in almost two months for Oklahoma, and that's because the Sooners already have 22 guys on board. They're only recruiting for four or five more spots at most. So you think about the top targets left on the board right now for Oklahoma. We don't have a timetable on Peyton Bowen. I'm not even going to act like I have a guess as to what the timetable will be at this point. Uh, Caden McDonald commits on October 31st. OU made some good progress there. I'm still a little bit skeptical that they end up being the pick, but they hosted him on an official visit this past weekend. So maybe, Steely, maybe you get good news on Halloween. That's about as soon as it can come in my eyes because I don't think we're going to have a decision from Cecilia Khanna until November or December and then it just comes down to who the Sooners prioritize and push for at the other safety position now that Ryan Yates is off the board.
0: Also from the 405, they just don't want to believe you on this stuff or they're not believing the OU coaches on the Malachi Coleman deal. I'm sorry, but I don't buy that explanation. There has to be something that has come up with that kid or something they didn't like. The kid is too freakish of an athlete to pass on. From the four oh five. Did I hear you guys talking about yesterday that Georgia's recruiting Malachi Coleman as a six four and a half cornerback?
1: Uh yes. Yes, wow. they are. And
0: Georgia kind yeah, of knows what they're actually, doing on defense, don't they? Uh Kirby Smart is yeah, pretty and, good.
1: Yeah, Coleman's closer to six six than he is to six four, let me tell you. He's on the plus side of six foot five. So he would be Quite literally, one of a kind across the country at the cornerback position. And again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I expect him to commit to Nebraska on Saturday. Wouldn't shock me if he ends up taking a post-commitment visit to Georgia either. Um, but no, it, that's been that's been a very common sentiment among OU fans that's been recycled over and over and over. Is something's up with Coleman that we're not seeing? What is? Well, no, it's as simple as this: the Sooners. The Oklahoma football staff, they saw Malachi Coleman, at least in an immediate sense, as more of a wide receiver than a tight end. He's going to have to be developed into a tight end. Like I said, if you want him to be Braden Willis, you're two to three years off, just based on where he's at physically. So they saw him as more of a receiver than a tight end, and they didn't want to risk running off one of their current commits at wide receiver because they love Jaquay's pet They love Keon Brown. They love Anthony Evans, so didn't want didn't want to get a case of too many cooks in the kitchen there, and that's why they decided to move on from Malachi Coleman. I know so many people have speculated that he's got to have an off field issue or something. There's got to be something that we're not seeing. That's just not the case.
0: The OU fans, now you know that uh, everybody over there at the coaches' offices right now, they're listening. There's no doubt. The we're just going to tell you the OU fans they want Malachi Coleman. So, just saying, you know, I think the the feeling out there is, you know, seeing and your highlight reels are just that—they're highlight reels. But they think this kid's got to be, and as that texter said, the kid is too freakish of an athlete to pass up on that he could play somewhere. And make an impact. So we'll see. And we talked about Caleb Spencer. You're going to look in to see what's up with the uh, Miami visit. Did it happen? Will it happen? Uh, If somebody decommits, would that uh, clear up a spot for Malachi Coleman? And would there be a chance now if something did happen late? Apparently the Sooner coaches have made up their minds on this deal. But if something did happen late, could they go back to Malachi Coleman? Or would it be, you know, the bridge has been burned? I don't know. What do you think about that scenario?
1: I, here's what I do know. I do know Malachi Coleman loves him from Jackson Arnold. I mean, Malachi has said to me several times. I don't think there's a better high school quarterback in America than Jackson Arnold. And I do know Arnold was very actively recruiting Coleman to Oklahoma back when the Sooners were still in pursuit of Coleman. And so I I think if there came a circumstance at which OU did want to circle back around for some reason, I think Coleman would be receptive. I, as of right now, though, I just don't see a scenario, at least not a feasible one, where that would occur.
0: Yeah, it just seems bizarre. It does seem a little bit bizarre, and and I believe this coaching staff. You know that they are. Uh, it's the kind of staff that can develop players, and uh, they they know the players they're looking for and who can play and can't play. Not every recruit's going to work out, obviously, and live up to the billing. Even some that happens with five stars a lot too. But so I believe in this class. Uh, I believe in this class, and I believe in these coaches and developing uh, this class. But man, it just. It does. When you see Malachi Coleman out there with that, uh, you know, as you said, 6'5 plus, great speed and, uh, you know, good hands, all of that stuff. He just looks like a kid that he might be one of those kids down the road When you're thinking, man, do you remember when Malachi Coleman wanted to come to OU and basically if OU had said, yeah, yeah, had made the offer, he would have been at the University of Oklahoma. And, you know, and you see him you know, playing for Georgia or whoever, or Nebraska. You know, Nebraska might get lost a little bit, be a great player in an average program. But, um, you know, it just feels like it could be one of those situations. And it's not like a Wes Welker or somebody like that who you say, yeah, okay, I can see why the OU staff didn't, you know, offer a Wes Welker. And then he comes out, turns out to be this great player. But with Coleman, you you see it right there. So it's just a little bit weird, and I don't think center fans – are like, what? Surely there's got to be an issue there, something, because this kid looks too good and too athletic. So we'll see. All right, break time right here. 405-651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions Tax Line. Thanks to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. X72, great deal. Cars, trucks, SUVs, pre-owned vehicles. Tremendous guarantee of oil changes and engines for life. Not like for three months or three years for life. That's that's a guarantee right there. New or used gas or diesel, no additional cost to you. That's a heck of a guarantee. Alright, Thunder tips off tonight. We'll get back to the text line. We'll spend five, six minutes talking about the Thunder opener and the season opener tonight in Minneapolis with our friend Brandon Rabar who does a great job. We'll do that next right here on The Ref. Alright, we're back. Mike Seeley, Parker Thune. Opening at night's For the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight in Minneapolis against the T-Wolves, Minnesota now has Rudy Gobert as part of their squad and the Thunder. Again, we'll see uh, what the strategy is this year. I think we kind of know what the strategy is going to be. Brandon Rabar, our Thunder insider, dailythunder.com, joins us. And, uh, Brandon, uh, is is every loss this year going to be a Victor E for uh, the – Women Yama sweepstakes?
4: That was pretty good, Mike. I might have to steal that. I might have to tweet that and then give you some credit at the end. I, I haven't actually heard that yet. Yes, uh, you, you
0: you you credit me, you tweeted out because you're the Twitter star now and you'll get like seven thousand likes and that'll give me some some street <laughs> cred. Please.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll give I'll give you some some Twitter juice. Uh, hey, no look, you're you're absolutely right though. You know, I've I've been saying it, you know for a couple years, as I've been coming on with you, I've I've always felt like next season, not this season, but next season, when you know the uh, CBA rules go into effect, the new ones go into effect, the Thunder's salary is going to be completely clean, the cap sheet, uh, and they will have more time with these young core players to develop. I've always thought that that would be the season that they would make a playoff push. So even before they got Chet Holmgren. And even before Chet Homer got injured, I thought that this one last year, especially now with Victor Wembanyama, uh, you know, the big prize, the most hyped prospects since LeBron James, I-, I think that this will be one last kind of rebuilding, thinking whatever you want to call it, season, yeah.
0: Well, and to me, uh, women Yama, I I believe, and look, you're right. Since LeBron, but I he might be the best project, best prospect ever be available in the NBA draft. I mean, and if he can stay healthy, I mean, we we just haven't look. We had when Lou Alcindor came out of UCLA, became Kareem Abdul Jabbar. You know, early days with the Milwaukee Bucks back in the day. Uh, he was a scoring machine. The sky hook may have been the most unstoppable shot in NBA history. But we're talking about a guy, you know, who's two, who can handle the ball, get up and down the court, make threes, block shots. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm not sure there's a real weakness to this kid's game. I mean, he can completely alter your franchise, boom, just like that. So it is going to be very interesting to see. What, what would you uh, put the over and under at for... Um, Oklahoma City win-wise this year?
4: That's a great question. I know Vegas right now has it at 23.5. Uh, I've seen some wild takes out there that have the Thunder at, like, 15 wins, which is crazy. Uh, they had to try really hard last year not to, you know, go over 25 wins. Uh, I would put it right around, it. let's say everybody stays healthy and they play the full assortment of games Shea Just alexander is an all-star level talent. And then Josh Giddy, I think, is going to take a second-year leap. I really like some of these young players like like Jalen Williams. Uh, you know, Lou Dort is improving every year. I would put it right around 20. I, I, I'll say 26 wins. I'll say 26. So I'll just throw that out there. I, I need to make my official prediction, so I guess I just did. 26.
0: Yeah, and... Um... I, I just think that, again, with uh, Yama being out there, the 7'2 kid from France, in case you don't know who we're talking about, but this kid is unbelievable. I mean, just spectacular. Right. So um, can you imagine if you got, again, him in the drafts somehow because obviously you got to get the number one pick, but then Chet Holmgren comes back and he's healthy. And what you got, uh, you know, uh, Santa Clara – Williams looks unbelievable. I like uh, yeah. Usman Jank's uh, potential trade man. Again, he's going to keep scoring. Uh, it's going to be very yep. interesting. Uh, we saw that there was nothing happening with Darius Baisley, so he becomes a UFA. But uh, any chance that Darius Baisley makes it through the season or, or would it be a trade deadline deal? What do you think is going to happen uh, with Baisley, because his it it appears to be that his days in Oklahoma City look look numbered right now.
4: Yeah, they do. With you know, the Thunder usually don't let players hit unrestricted free agency if they have plans for those players right. in the future. So you know, it's going to be you know one or two things: either they trade him by the trade deadline, or you know they just let him test the free market afterwards because they don't think that there is any trade value there. You know, I I think that this is a big year, obviously, for Baisley, not only for his future with the Thunderbird, but for his future in the NBA. Like, if he can prove it, if he can prove that he's at least a role player, I think he's a good defender. He's a good shot blocker. He's a good rebounder. If he's coming off the bench and he just plays that role and he doesn't try to do too much, he doesn't, you know, shoot from the outside, jack up a bunch of threes, he can make himself a role in the NBA. It just depends on if he focuses on what he's, you know, Excels that, and, and I think he can find a future. I, I I don't imagine the Thunder have so many young prospects to develop and things like that, and he's just been kind of leapfrogged as far as the pecking order goes. Yeah, you know what I mean. So no there's doubt. guys that have had it past him. So I, I don't see it, you know, long term here with the Thunder. But I, I think he'll he'll find a spot in the NBA.
0: Yeah, it's looking pretty obvious that uh, that's that's going to be uh, you know the situation for Darius Baisley is winding up somewhere else. All right. Uh the Poku project, man. It yeah. is it looks like it's starting to come together. Breakout year for uh Alexei Pokushevsky this year. What do you think? I tell you what, you know,
4: the thing with Poku is I remember talking to you after the Thunder drafted him and we were both, you know, high on his upside because He's seven foot. He could handle the ball. He showed these offensive skills that you don't usually see in a seven footer. But we both said at the time, look, he's raw. He's a project. He's the youngest player in the NBA. He's going to need a lot of time to develop. But what's funny is, you know, everybody wants like instant gratification. So after that first season, even with those warnings, everybody's like, ah, he's terrible. Get him off the team. But here we are. After two years, he's put on 20 pounds. He went from 190 to 210. He looks noticeably thicker, and he looks noticeably better on the court. I'm not saying he's going to reach some superstar upside or anything like that, but if he carves out like a role as a rotation player off the bench, he's contributing in a positive way, that's a big organizational win uh, with Poku, seeing where he started from. You know, sometimes, Mike, these young, raw projects that we told need some time to develop just need some time to develop.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of year he has, no doubt about it. All right, real quick before we let you go, uh, we had two games last night. The Celtics at home beat the 76ers by nine. Blake Griffin played eight minutes uh, in a, a Boston uniform for the first time last night, 1.5 rebounds. The late game, the Warriors beat the Lakers, 123-109. to Russ had 19, 11 rebounds, three assists, actually shot it all right, 7 of 12, uh, but this is what Charles Barkley said on TNT last night about Russ, the Lakers, and the current situation.
1: You know how I feel about Russell Westbrook. Yes. That he plays hard every time out. I admire him. I respect him. It's time for the Lakers to move
0: him. They have taken all his joy out of life in basketball.
4: Chuck, it's five out of eight.
0: No, it's not about the numbers. First of all, the Lakers stink. We can get that out the way those two guys just out there having fun, AD and LeBron, they're just getting numbers. You never thought they were going to win this game. You know, they're just going through,
3: they're like getting numbers. How can you tell that Westbrook's joy has been stolen? He
0: doesn't look, this guy used to be so exuberant, playing with great energy and great emotion. I think the wear and tear mentally, last year, starting this year, playing with Patrick, Patrick Beverly, He's gonna, and the thing is, he gonna get the blame no matter what, because the Lakers ain't a championship contender. There you go. Um, so, what do you think is gonna happen? Does he make it to the trade deadline? You've talked about, you know, how much money he's gonna make this year. What is uh, Russ's hoop future uh, for at least the rest of this season? You think?
4: Oh man. Uh, first of all, I think that Chuck nailed it. Honestly, I think. I yeah, I think he do yeah, to 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 too. Uh, I, you know, I, it's going to be hard for the Lakers in just because of the contract. But I think that they're going to have to because of pressure, and it, it's just an awkward situation. I think that they'll end up, you know, whether it's with Indiana and they end up getting Miles Turner, whether they get Buddy Hill, who knows what's going to happen? I think eventually by the deadline they probably make a move because I do think that they're going to be disappointing again. I think they'll, I think they'll be a playoff team. I do think that, and I think Russ is going to be pretty solid this year. Um, I think Russ is going to get all the blame, and they'll eventually move him uh, just because outside forces, and and like Chuck said, I I, kind of co-sign with what he said there.
0: Brandon, we appreciate you, my friend. You do a great job, and feel free to uh, uh, steal the victor. Every loss is a victor. (laughs) Please credit me I'm so absolutely. I can get you know. Yeah. I've everybody, we've got to have Twitter followers, man. That's how we determine whether we're worthy or not in this life. So please <laughs> help me. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Okay, I'm going to hook you up. Appreciate please you, my friend. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Brandon Rabar, uh, dailythunder.com, Thunder Insider, joining us on the Riverwind Casino Hotline. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get as many texts in as we can. When we get back, right here in the home of Sooner fans, the ref. Oh man. Can you turn the radio off? Man, I had a rough night, and I hate the freaking Eagles, man. Big Lebowski fans, you know what I'm talking about. All right, to the uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line. All right, it's good to know LG Sooner 63 texted me and said, Steel Man, you're turning into... Traber, begging for followers, please stop. I said it was a joke. I really don't care that much about I mean, look, I don't want to have like three, but you guys know me. I don't tweet much. I don't like that much self-attention. I don't require it. I don't. Now, I'll tweet on game days a lot. That's angry tweeting and Happy tweeting, and I might even tweet a little bit about uh, the Thunder tonight, but I just I just don't tweet that much. I was not the kid in class that needed constant attention. But we have a lot of them out there now, a lot of them. And that's fine if that's how you are. But, yes, that was a joke, I promise you. Thank you, LG Sooner. Okay. Someone tell Presty to hashtag bring Russ home. Parker, I don't think that's going to happen. By the way. Man, I I have, okay. Let me get the five eight zero. I have texted three times. What radio station are you all on in Lawton? Please answer. I listen every day, streaming. But I, um, I would like an answer, please. Sooner, Steve. Or wait a minute. Yeah, Sooner, Steve from Lawton. Do we know is TJ here? I, I, look, all I do is prepare for a radio show and try and get sound ready and talk about stuff we want to talk about and write a bunch of notes down. I don't know every affiliate. Like, rate, Can we find that out? Is there somebody here that can answer that? The guy I want to is...
1: say it's 1380 in Lawton, 1380? if my memory serves me correctly. Let's hope it does, because if I'm wrong, you may end up listening to mm-hmm. uh, some overseas communiques or something like that on some – Tiny radio frequency that gets reception in southern Oklahoma, but regardless, uh, I, I I believe it's thirteen eighty. Okay, in Lawton, I'm not hundred yeah. percent sure. Somebody help us out.
0: Don't read, quote me. I I would imagine that Tyler McComas will probably have the answer. Steely was class, clown that tried too hard to be funny. That's not true. I was I was not. I, I I just I wasn't. I mean, did I do some stupid things? Was I an idiot? Yes, but I didn't try to be the class. Clown i just didn't try steely what was more impressive touring the sistine chapel or the falls in wichita falls i was close very close now the falls in wichita falls were man-made falls though but i i had i had a, a good experience in wichita falls there were some nice people in there but i would i'd give it a slight edge to the sistine uh tell lawton to google that stuff do, do 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 I 100% agree with the dude's take on the Eagles. Have you ever seen the Big Lebowski? That was—it's probably not in your wheelhouse. But have you ever seen that movie, Parker? I can't say that I have, Steely. It's—it's hmm. it's a good one. It's really good. I think you'd like it, actually. Another radio station is taking shots, saying, "Wouldn't it be sad if we were only covering one team all the time?" Well. We are the home of Sooner fans. I just talked a little thunder. Like I said, this the stake on the plate here is 90% OU sports. There are going to be some side dishes. I'm not enough of a homer, local yokel to just talk you know, 100% Sooners all the time. But when it's football season, yes, absolutely. You can talk national NBA, and we're talking thunder today because it's opening night for Oklahoma City. National NBA, all you want. You're going to be out ESPN, out NBA Network, out out of everything else. I'm just saying. I've done this for a while. I know that you go local, 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 and particularly you can't lose. We're talking about Oklahoma football. It's been the number one topic here. Once I started, it'll be the number one topic here. Years after I'm history, gone from here, and nothing else is in the same ballpark. But, yes, we are still going to talk some other sports. There's no doubt about it. And some Thunder basketball. Because I like Brandon Rebar too much, too. He's such a good guy. Okay, uh, let's see. I'm okay with passing on Coleman. If our two freshman tight ends are elite, we have two freshman tight ends, Caden Helms and Jason Ouellen, both 6'5". Does the coaching staff see these two as dual threats, like one being a better blocker and one a better receiver? What's the future look like for them? That, ladies and gentlemen, directed to Parker Thune.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, Caden Helms, Jason Llewellyn, uh, two very talented guys, two guys with very different skill sets, though. I mean, Helms is more of a, uh, a guy with the capacity to stretch uh, and get downfield, uh, beat a man uh, by virtue of his speed as well as his size. He runs very well for somebody who's about 6'5", 225 pounds, so... I'm trying to think what a good comparison for Caden Helms would be. Because he he's very much, like, he's more similar to Malachi Coleman than he is to somebody like Daniel Parker, for instance. Because uh, he has a lot of downfield playmaking ability, and he's honestly he could just as easily line up at wide receiver and play that position full-time as he could tight end. Jason Llewellyn is a much bigger body. Six foot five, about 260 pounds. So we're talking about a much wider frame. Uh, Somebody that, like Parker, is more of a blocking first guy, uh, but is also a tremendous pass catcher and has the ability to make plays. Uh, Not quite as fast, not quite as agile as Helms, but when you have two guys at that position whose skill sets complement each other the way that Helms's and Llewellyn's do... Uh, That gives you a really good nucleus in the tight end room, and you throw in just a phenomenal all-around athlete and a very versatile football player in Cade McIntyre. You add him to the mix, as well as whoever you bring in via the transfer portal. You feel pretty good about Oklahoma's capacity to replace Braden Willis next year in 2023. I think that starts with Helms. I think, especially once he adds another 10, 15 pounds, he's going to be the most complete player at that position that Oklahoma has on the roster.
0: Yeah, Caden Helms get a lot of potential. Uh, Yes, uh, no doubt about it. And, uh, man, what what a year that Braden Willis is having, by the way, too. Thank goodness he came back because he has been one of the MVPs of this squad, arguably the MVP. All right, we are out of time. Appreciate all the text today. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Riverwind Casino. Bedlam Beats and Bites coming up Friday, November 18th. Get your tickets online. For only five bucks at Riverwind.com or at the uh, box office right there in the casino, five bucks to see the Eli Young Band and Wade Bowen, Bedlam Beats and Bites. Everybody have a great Wednesday.